Welcome to episode 10 of the Spectrum Lounge. Host Rebecca Theodore Vachon reviews Steve McQueen's latest offering, The Heist Thriller Widows, with her panel of guests, film critics Candace Frederick, Erica Mann, and BET.com's entertainment editor Jerry L. Barrow. This review contains major spoilers, so proceed at your own risk. Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge Podcast. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and I'd like to introduce uh, my guest, Erica Mann, filmmaker and documentarian. Hi, Erica. Hi, hello. Um, We're also uh, joined by one of my favorite people, Jerry Barrow, who's the (laughs) entertainment editor at BET.com. Hello, hello. And also, yay, I'm so happy about this one, Uh, Candice Frederick, TV and film critic, uh, she's my OG dog. Uh, we had our previous podcast, uh, Cinema Noir, which you can still listen to on Block Talk Radio. Hi, Candice. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, I finally made it. Yes, I'm so. Yeah, we we had a couple of times where, but you know, the schedules didn't work. But I'm I'm so happy that you can join us. So let's start with Widows uh, again in, in in theaters right now. Uh, directed by Steve McQueen with a screenplay co-written by Jillian Flynn and Steve McQueen. So we'll just go around the table. So I'll start with you, Candace. What What are your thoughts and feelings on, on Widows? What did you think? Oh, I love Widows so, so much. It's funny. I um, The first time I saw it, I was in Toronto. And the second time I saw it, I was in Chicago. Um, and... It's very interesting seeing it in Chicago as opposed to seeing it in Toronto. In Toronto, I was just like, oh, you know, I like it. Like, I felt really good about just just the female, the female chemistry, the chemistry among all the women in it, and that they were given such agency and such badassery, and how you know they were really commanding this this heist that was really supposed to be the men. The men were actually supposed to be centered in this, and they all died terrible men who treat them I would say pretty terribly um, while they're alive Um, they are left basically to clean up their mess after they've died after they were killed in a I hope that's not a spoiler, but they were killed. Go ahead. Uh, oh, that was in the trailer. Look, it exploded. That bit exploded. That's the, the whole premise is that they're called widows because their husbands are dead. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. you're fine there. Anyone who thinks this is a spoiler, this is not the podcast for you. Watch, they, watch the trailer. They were killed. I won't, I won't say exactly how they were killed, but they were mm-hmm. killed on the job, right. basically. Um, and so they, um, so these women are really left to pick up the pieces because these these men, their creditors basically come back at them. And so I just love that these women, as scared as they probably are, are using their fear to be like, you know what, we're not gonna back down from this. And not only, you know, not only are we not gonna be intimidated, we're going to outsmart them. Mm -hmm. And so I love that because we don't really see that. And the fact that these are very, these are four very, very different women. I would say three, Um, there are actually three widows and then there is Belle played by Cynthia Erivo who's not really a widow. She comes in much later so she doesn't, she's not part of the overarching theme of the movie but she is I, I would say pulled in at the last minute um, and so and everyone's just really great I think a lot there's a lot of plot there's a lot of themes to really kind of pull from it and I think a lot of a lot of the women are battling a lot of self-doubt they're trying to kind of claim their own self-worth because of what has been 
done to them. And so this is their retaliation. I loved all of that. I loved just how each woman actually has a very full storyline, despite the fact that there, there are three main ones. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a that's kind of a big feat too, as well. So okay. that's my two cents. So what did you think, Erica? Oh, I guess it's gonna be a love fest. I also <laughs> loved Widows. I I'm a huge fan of the the heist spy film, and I've I've always longed for a film that's had that spy element, that kind of heist film, but with women, particularly black women. And so seeing Viola Davis in this type of role in this sort of gritty, grimy, but she's still, it, it's interesting to see her because, and it was very purposeful listening to Steve McQueen talk, he really wanted to put in that pedestal in comparison to the other women. She's the most affluential, like she has the money. Her husband was the, the ringleader. She's like queen pin, but not really, like she was the head. And so it's it's very cool to see that type of film because yeah, it, it's, it's you know, girl power is that type of film, but I feel like a lot of these girl power films form a typical formula. Like, it's usually very white, and um, it's it kind of, it's like they, they pull the job, and they they look fabulous doing it, and they're, you know, all that. But with this film, mm -hmm. it's very, I feel it, it felt very real. Like, if I was in that situation, I would like, yep, I would be like that, I would look like that, I would react like that. So I feel like this is a very different film and I feel like people are going to walk in expecting something like what I just said but get something completely different mm -hmm. and I love that I love that people are going to be like what did I just see <laughs> um, because and that's just Steve McQueen like if when you get a Steve McQueen film you're not going to get what you think you're going to get and I think that is one of the strengths of having uh, Steve on that project because you're not going to get a typical film like that you're going to get something that's going to make you think make you want to see it over because I had to see it again because there are so many things I missed because my mouth was just a, a gape the entire time <laughs> I was like I missed so many things and so um I really hope that uh, Steve and Jillian Gillian, Jillian, Jillian, Jillian I hope they work again because mm -hmm. that is a match that that needs to reoccur I definitely. totally agree with that yeah. so I was excited to see this since I, once I saw the trailer and I saw the cast Steve McQueen had such a crayon box to play with I mean you're looking at Liam Neeson Viola Davis Daniel Kaluuya Michelle Rodriguez Colin Farrell mm. Brian Tyree Henry Robert Duvall mm -hmm. like this is an A plus cast but then yeah. everyone did their part without making it seem without overshadowing anyone mm -hmm. that's what the, the, like when you have that many great talented people sometimes people will kind of overpower the mm -hmm. others but everybody kind of played their role like even Ada Perro's in this movie and, and it's such a small mm -hmm. part and I wish it was it was it was a bigger part because I'm like when you have someone of her caliber mm -hmm. playing a relatively small role it's like oh my god but let's put a pin in that cause we'll, we'll put a pin that. on that <laughs> but overall I, I too really yeah. it, the, the movie definitely lived up to the trailer for me which is rare because I've seen a lot of trailers that get me excited and I watch the movie and I'm like a womp womp this was, de <laughs> this was definitely not that Viola was incredible and I love that it, the robbery the heist itself was kind of secondary Mm. You know, everybody's mm. life stories and how that came together, the intersection of gender and class mm -hmm. was such, and, and the Chicago politics that were brought out in it was mm -hmm. so, that made the story even more compelling yep. um, to me than just, oh, let's just go make this money. And then um, the, the women's performances go without saying were amazing, but I have to tell, Daniel Kaluuya as Jatem mm -hmm. is like wow. the villain 
the villain of the year. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, like yeah. Killmonger almost a... had villain of the year for Ooh. me, but Jatem, uh-huh. oh man, he was ruthless. And... Savage. If you look at the dictionary for savage, <laughs> he is, his picture is right under it. No joke. So when I asked, um, I got to speak to Steve McQueen in the cast for it, and he says Jatem, for him, represented someone who's been numbed by violence. Ooh. So he's gotten to the point where he's bored. Mm. So he has to find new ways to be evil to keep himself, mm-hmm. you know, Dang. interested. And when you, so when you look back at his performance, you're like, well, yeah, that definitely sounds like someone who's like, yeah, I kill people. What's the what's the fun in just shooting somebody? I'm a, <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> I'm gonna try and make some fun, have some fun with it. But he and then Brian Tyree Henry again, who is having a monster year. Yes. I'm so happy for that brother. Mm-hmm. Um, for all the work he's been doing from from in Beale Street and this and um, you know Hotel Artemis, like he and then obviously um, Atlanta, having a great year, continuing to have an amazing year. He's great as the um, the politician. His um, interactions with Viola were incredible. The yeah. scene where he first goes to see Viola about his money. Oh, with, can we talk about that scene? Oh, oh my! And with and with the dog. The dog. <laughs> I was so terrified for that dog. It was such brilliant filmmaking because Ooh. he didn't have to touch her. Yes. To intimidate the hell out of her, he grabbed her dog, picked up, and he didn't even do nothing to the dog. Mm-hmm. He's. He, it's like the nicer he was to the dog, the more scared you were of him. That, he started. The, he, he picked up the dog. He's petting the dog. He's like, "Well, how are you gonna come up with my money?" And it's like you think about it. That's dang near her child. That yeah, dog. So imagine. So imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So imagine some 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 criminal breaks into your house and is holding your kid mm-hmm. and tells you in the calmest voice possible, "You have a month to come up with two million dollars. Yeah. Or I'll be back. Right." And it was brilliant because he didn't have to be a thug. He didn't have to go in there and yeah. break nothing. He went. He looked at her library. He was like, "Oh, I gotta read that." Oh my <laughs> you know? god! I love that you know, but I know. I know everybody has things to say about that. So I'll let yeah. everybody. Jump well, over. I mean, the one thing. Um, what's interesting is that with the man, that's the Manning brothers, right? Right. So you have Daniel Kaluuya, so Jatem, and um, Jamal. Brian Jamal. What's interesting to me is that I know that people will talk more about Daniel's character but to me it's, it's not an insult against anything but to me what was interesting is the interesting contrast of two very talented actors that tackle menace in very different ways right mm-hmm. where Jatem's character is more overt right mm-hmm. it's like that very alpha male yeah. like dominant and but the thing is if you look at Jamal he's just as menacing it's just it's it's just expressed differently oh, it's yeah. a more subtle nuanced performance not to say that Daniel's is any any less, be- any less, uh, you know, it's not as good as, as if you compare the both of them. They're two sides yeah. of the same, same coin. Two sides yeah. of the same coin. And yeah. I think that has something to do with, I mean, there's not backstory, which is why I love how Steve McQueen sometimes doesn't force feed you. Yes. I always, I, I always have like this backstory of Jatem and Jamal being sort of like, you see this in families all the time where one of the children is the chosen one. Well, that's the one who's gonna get, who gets the better grades. Though That's the child that I'm gonna invest more time in and send to college. That must have been the Jamal character. And I just imagine that Jatem might have been the troublemaker, you know, the one that was always getting calls from the principal, like, come pick up your child. You know what I mean? And so, and that kind of changes, and the way that we raise our children, in a way, we kind of, push them into certain destinies and certain fates. You know what I mean? So I always imagine that could be a backstory of the two of them. Jamal is also a politician. Yes. And so that he has to perform. He exactly. has to be like, he has to be like this, like, 
sane person. Like, like Jatam doesn't have anyone to perform for. Mm -hmm. Jamal does. And mm -hmm. so he has to kind of put on this face. Like, I'm mad as hell, mm -hmm. but also I have to, like, put up a face in front of these white people because I also need their vote type of thing. Yes. But I'm also, like, really annoyed with y'all because y'all be taking our money and then <laughs> pretend that you're the better person. But like, th there's so much subtext and there's so yes. much that is not said in the dialogue that is mm -hmm. said maybe in other scenes among other other characters that really informs the relationship between Jamal and Jatam and their relationship with the Mulligans. Yes. And, and so, so there, there's such a menacing factor about both of those brothers, mm -hmm. but also I'm just like, they've also been wronged. Yes. You know, and I think, and to a certain extent, most of these people have been wrong, except the Mulligans. Like, I, they're just, just bad people just for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, everyone else has really been wronged and they're just trying to retaliate in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was thinking, even in the beginning of this of the film, even uh, Jatem, mm -hmm. right, he said, "When? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this?" And he said, "Look, I'm tired of game begging. I want, I want what they have." Mm -hmm. And that was such a. And again, I, I'm obsessed with this film because again, I came in not thinking, "Oh, a simple heist film." Yeah. The layers to this film, the mm -hmm. racial archetype to this film is so strong. And for yeah. me, as mm -hmm. a black woman, I'm mm -hmm. like. Yes, because you can't have a film like this in Chicago and not address it. And Absolutely. So there are so many like even and as you said like Steve McQueen, he does not deliver things like up in front. Like he does not hold the audience hands and, and walk them through the story. He's like, look, I'm going to drop some clues, mm -hmm. some looks, some lines, and mm -hmm. you can like draw your own conclusions. He, right. he gives his, his little like presence, and I love that about his his style of film. But. Mm -hmm. Going back to that, it was like, yeah, he's like, these white folks, they they've been stealing this stuff, they've been doing all this stuff. I want, I want that piece of the pie, and then I want his life. I want his <laughs> life, and so if I gotta do this, this if I gotta you know smile and do this, this is what we're gonna do to get to this money, and so that just adds another uh, layer to this character, which I just love. And yeah. So. Can we talk about that shot? I know you know what shot I'm going to talk about. That single shot. That single shot. Because you were talking about the the racial dis, um, disparity. Disparity. The way he did that. Where you. Wait, I'm sorry. Which shot? With, okay. with, with after the rally with Colin Farrell, is oh, um leaving the leaving in the, the, in the car. That tracking shot. Oh no! Well, so so the setup is uh, Colin Farrell's character Jack Mulligan. He is at you know basically the poorer part of Chicago. Well, so one ward. I it was, yeah, I forget which ward it was. So he's in Chicago, and so basically he's running for office, and he puts these black women on a stage, and he's like, "Oh, you know, we gave these women money. We gave them like microloans or whatever in order for them to, um, you know, be successful black women and to give back to the community." Blah blah blah. Okay. Then we see Jack walk into his um, his show into his limousine with his assistant in the back and so it's this great single shot where we see this very intense conversation between Jack and his campaign manager because Jack is from a long line of politicians and he actually doesn't want this job he doesn't want to run but because you know his Robert Duvall's character is like this is this is your legacy I'm, I'm not going to be here much longer and so you have to you know carry the torch and so there's this in, you, you have this um, intense conversation between Jack and his campaign manager who's a woman who's basically like telling him to stop bitching and you know get your balls up and <laughs> let's get this job done yeah. right. and so that you're concentrating on the on the conversation and then meanwhile you're looking while the the limousine makes its way from this 
you know, just very poor part of Chicago, and then you start to see the houses start looking better, and there's more grass, and there's more trees. So you're basically seeing him going, you know, just the racial and the and the class disparities. Because mm-hmm. the ride isn't even that long. Nope. That's something that's crazy. It's, it's just like blocks. Yeah, that reminded me of D.C. When I lived in D.C., that's how you'd be walking down a block in D.C. Mm-hmm. and it'd be like these beautiful brownstones, and you turn the corners like crack city. It's like, well, <laughs> hold up, how did I end up here? Same, same with Long Island. When I went to yeah. school in Long Island, it was exactly the same thing. Our, our, our my college, my university was yeah. not in a great area. Right. But mm-hmm. sure enough, if you five minute drive, you're mm-hmm. in a very lush green area, and you're like, what the hell did that just? Yeah. Like, what happened? And, and we're seeing that in Harlem too, right? With the gentrification, yeah. because yep. and I, I think, but I I agree with you um, with the fact with widows that there's so much subtext and there's so much. Uh, and I like the fact that it's not didactic, that he's not hitting you over the head with right. it. He's basically, he uses a lot with visuals and just like the silences between the characters, you know what I mean? Like the scene where uh, Colin Farrell's uh, character goes to visit Jamal mm-hmm. at his campaign. Cause, right. And then you see the other racial disparity there because, you know, Jamal is running it out of like, a church. It was a church. Out of a church. And then yeah. Colin's like, well, you know, this is technically illegal. You know, right. like, but where else is he going to have money? Or where, what, what other headquarters is he going to get where he doesn't have to pay the rent? You exactly. Know yeah. Mm-hmm. And the largest congregation. Too. And the, exactly. exactly. Or when they went to visit that church mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then the pastor was like, oh, so what y'all going to do for me? Like, mm-hmm. Right. Right. Typical. Hands out. Everybody got their hand out. I will say, just going back to that tracking shot, I I tweet about this. As someone who is in love with the film Shame, Mm -hmm. also a Steve McQueen film, the scene with Michael Fassman running across the city is exactly If you watch it, he's going in... As New Yorkers, we know, like, there's no way he can go all that time just like, right. running. But it's like, it's the same thing. It's just yes. like, little nuances of him that is just in these films that are just really, they're very subtle. Mm-hmm. And you would have to, like, maybe watch again to catch it. But yeah. when you see it, you're like, damn, you're That's good. a Steve McQueen. I think, Candace, you had tweeted something about that yesterday to the effect that some people were saying that this movie doesn't seem like a typical Steve McQueen movie. I'm like... What? Yeah. So I guess he's been getting quite, and I and I I've kind of been wrestling the wrestling with this as well because he hasn't done a whole lot of films. I think he said this is his fourth film ever. Right. So yeah. It's not like he has this long, long established career. He just happens to have a very short, amazing career. Mm-hmm. And so that every time he comes out with something, there's some. Every time he comes out with a movie, it's so very different from another from his previous works. Right. I mean, there's definitely some similarities in style. Of yes. filmmaking, but in terms of the story, in terms of the way in which he's telling the story, that's very, very different each time. And I think he is also still trying to figure out his thing, so so to speak. And I don't think that he wants to be kind of put in a particular box because he likes to approach each film very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it depends on the narrative. The narrative, he says, informs how he will... Uh, how he will present the movie. Yeah. You almost have to, as a black filmmaker, you don't have, he told me, you don't have the luxury of making multiple mistakes. Yes. So he doesn't have the luxury of yeah. repurposing his style and, re- and and doing the same movie over and over. He's got to go swing for the fences each time. They gave him money to blow some stuff up. He's going to blow some stuff up. <laughs> I mean, it's a very different f- film, but it's still, f- I mean, obviously, because it takes place in Chicago in, in the modern day and not, right. you know, 12 Years a Slave was a, you know, whole different time period so it's not really fair to say this doesn't feel like a Steve McQueen movie because you only have what hunger and shame to compare against he's an indie it. darling yeah. he's an you indie know, darling 
you know. But, but the thing is, I actually, with people saying that, I actually disagree with that. I think if you actually sat down with all four of Steve McQueen, there is clearly a line. I think that there, there are echoes and there are there are similarities. I mean, if you start with Hunger, right, it's it's based on the real-life story of Bobby Sands who, got, who went on a hunger strike, mm-hmm. literally killed himself because he believed in his political beliefs so strongly. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that has to do with class, right? The Between, you know, the Britain and Ireland, right? There's the fight that's been going on. And then the second movie is Shame, right? And so it's more about body politics and, and a sexual um, addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And then just even just the dysfunction between, uh, like, I feel like, and then and and also if you watch Shame, it does have to do with class, right? Because it, it's 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 shot in New York, and you know what I mean. Like, I feel like if you watch, and then Twelve Years a Slave, of course, is based on the real life of uh, Solomon Northrup, and with Widows, I feel like he's actually taken a little bit of each of those movies and put that mm. into Widows, right? So I think he's learned something from each of these movies and then this kind of, and so I think Widows is sort of, in a way, a bigger palette. Like Absolutely. you said, it's a Absolutely. bigger palette. So he can yeah. talk about race, he can mm. talk about class, he can talk about gender, he can talk about all of these things um, that he's talked about in previous movies. So I, I, I think is this the this is is this his only film and I say only this is only four films but mm-hmm. is this the only one here where he actually centers women because that is actually a very yes this is the first though, one yeah this is the first one I, even though I know that Twelve Years a Slave had a lot of really great supporting female characters mm-hmm. this was very very deliberately female yes, yes. this is very very Agreed. deliberately feminine mm-hmm. and in the gaze of masculinity right and so and i and i think that is kind of something that's very different from his other films yeah yeah and um well so let's talk about one of the other plot points and i think this is just um a testament to the genius of of steve mcqueen and and jillian flynn because i'd be interested to know what which who contributed what as far as the 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 development of that storyline but basically we're presented with um you know Viola's character Veronica's character um you know she's married to Liam Neeson's character who's basically the you know he's sort of like the mastermind of all of these heists and so the opening scenes we keep seeing these memories of or these memories she has of them being in bed and being lovey-dovey and the thing that I loved about widows is that it's true that sometimes we lie to ourselves and the narratives that we tell ourselves right so basically she's thinking and partly because she thinks her husband is dead we always put people who who pass away in a more positive light Mm -hmm. we are led to believe that they had this perfect marriage and that yes she knew he was a criminal but that's okay you know they live in this high rise in Chicago and everything was good and then it's sort of like these layers where you're peeling it away where we start to see that the marriage is not what we thought it was it's like Spawn it's like but yeah exactly exactly with Spawn Mm -hmm. Um, well the comic book version anyway yes be clear clear, so so spoilers here but basically not only do we find out that Liam Neeson faked his own death so he's he's still alive mm-hmm. and then we find out that he was having an affair with one of the wives of the other robbers mm. and they mm. have a mm. child together mm. and this all converges where uh, where Viola's character uh, Veronica goes to visit this, the said mistress or right. she doesn't know she's she a mistress mm-hmm. and so she goes to visit this woman because I think at one point she was trying to get her in on the heist mm-hmm. um, that's Carrie Coon by the way Carrie Coon one of my favorite actresses mm-hmm. so she goes to Carrie Coon's um, 
you know, I guess she wanted some information, and then that's when she sees something. She sees a, I forget if it's a flask, The flask, right? The flask they used to share, they used to drink from when they got up in the morning together. Yes, and then mm-hmm. that's how she knows, and then the dog, her dog starts barking, going towards the door, mm. and I love that, the way that they wrote that screen, because the look on Veronica's face when she realizes that the man that she had been mourning is actually alive and living up with his mistress white mistress with Mm -hmm. their white baby Mm -hmm. because we we need to talk about Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and what i love is that veronica i thought she was going to go to the door and confront him she doesn't and Mm -hmm. i think that is a more authentic reaction Mm -hmm. she couldn't deal she just ran out of there and was just sort of like and so we find that out and then it goes even deeper Mm -hmm. when we find out the fact that uh, Veronica and niece and Liam's character did have a child. They had a son, a mixed race son, mm-hmm. and due to police violence, their son was killed. He was driving this really nice car, gets pulled over by the cops, right? And the son had just been talking to his father, and then you know what happened? Killed he, on their on their wedding anniversary. Yeah, or it was something. Like he had left a gift in the in the yes, glove compartment. Right. It was either the anniversary or her birthday. Either way, her son was killed on a really. Not that it was a good time. Yeah, a really tough day. So I I feel like, because I walked in that, I had no idea. Like, I was just sitting there like, what? Because I just thought that they were going to be like, oh, you know, because Steve was like, you know, interracial relationships should just be normalized or whatever. But I actually... he's in one, so... Yeah, so, Mm. and so I actually appreciated the fact that Steve was like, no, we're going to talk about this. Because it, it, to me, it would have been a sort of whitewashing for you to just have this affluent black woman um you know living the way she's living and not address mm-hmm. the race right. right and i think that was i think that kind of ties into the scene where uh jamal goes to visit her yes right because yeah. he's looking around the apartment like not oh so this night. is how you live in yeah mm-hmm. right yeah. off of yeah. I, off of and you don't have my money like right. how are you not gonna have my money why don't you sell <laughs> some of this stuff <laughs> yeah so so yeah so that combined with the death of the son like that just you know what I mean? Because to me, the, the the interpretation that I took from that, because people can try to deracialize it all they want, but yes, I do think as a black woman, that's a specific type of pain. I mean, never mind the idea of your husband faking his death, but then to see that our mixed race black son was a was a victim of police brutality, and now you're with this white woman having creating another family, mm-hmm. right? And that your child with this white woman will never face that. Right. Will never know what it's like to be pulled over by the cops, and and that kind of shows maybe the color blindness of how they raised their son too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't think Liam ever had that talk with his son. Like, hey, no. you got to keep your hands at 10 and 2 o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. I, I again, this again, this film threw me for a loop because I walked in with the idea like, oh, it's going to be a heist film. Mm-hmm. Like, Ocean's 8 going to be all like all spy and cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then I come in and there's these layers of racial and and I, which I personally love. Um, interesting enough, um, first of all, about the scene with Jamal and um, um, Veronica, where he walks in, and as as black folks, we know we walk in, we're like, mm, okay, all right, cool. You look around, you see all the nice stuff, and then. But the thing about about that is when, and again, this is great writing. He looks at her, and says, "Welcome to the real. Welcome back. Mm-hmm. Mm. Welcome back." Your white husband's dead, and now you you got nothing. So welcome back to the fold. Yeah, and I was like, ooh, that's a, and I think again, mm-hmm. and this is what I love about this film. But I think also where we're going to go into the reviews of these films by mostly white critics, mm-hmm. there are certain things that I see as a black woman that 
maybe someone like a white one would not catch. Right. right. And so, like, for example, the scene with the, the police shooting. After the film, I, I heard from another girlfriend who was black. She told me that she heard from a white woman who was at the screening with us. Mm-hmm. She felt that the shooting was not necessary. Oh, my God. And that she didn't understand why it was there. Mm-mm. Oh. And she texted to me. And you know that little upside-down smiley face? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's I, like, really? I, I was like, how can you possibly not understand why that is such a huge part of their story. The reason why he did in the first place, the catalyst for that, his actions was because his son got shot. He couldn't deal with it. So mm. and that and that's why I'm like, wow, people are really not seeing what I'm seeing. Yes. And that's purely because again, it's just like I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's a great conversation started personally, but it kind of blows my mind how there are certain elements of this movie, mostly ra- racial um components of this movie that people are not fully understanding yeah and it was so crazy that you realize that the the funeral that they're showing in the beginning is not the husband's it's right. the son's. <gasps> yes. i didn't realize that the first time i'm just through. catching that now yeah. i didn't even yeah, catch that the funeral in the beginning is not because i was go. i was looking at the headstone i'm like that date feels weird he's not he was <laughs> older than that and then you realize it was the son's funeral that they were wow. attending so it's this memory so i like the way he shifts from the present and the past mm-hmm. yeah 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 you know it's funny because i also had issues when I first saw it, I had issues with, I was just like, wow, that, that the whole shooting with her, with the son, I was just like, wow, that that to me kind of came out of nowhere because we never met him before mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. never saw him after that. Right. So, I, so that was just such a strange thing for me to experience in the middle of all the other things that are going on in the movie. So I did have issues with that. Mm-hmm. Then the second time I saw it, once I put that in context, mm-hmm. but that, I mean, there, that the second viewing just illuminated so much for me because there is a ton of things going on. Yep. Yeah. There's a ton of things that is and there's a lot that's unspoken. I would mm-hmm. say even more that's unspoken. <laughs> and that was one of those things that really kind of complemented what was unspoken. Right. And so that that so I will say that. But there there are many reviews I've 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 seen. Of course, mostly they're white because that's <laughs> how this is how it goes. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of people, and I think what's what's interesting for me the interesting thing for me is that no one's really talking about the fact that these are four very different women from different cultural backgrounds that they actually um, have they have stories that are actually very um, indicative of who they are yes and that's not a lot of that's not what I think a lot of people are really getting like this isn't just like women no this isn't one of your white women empowerment movements. no mm-hmm. it's not this is an actually very very intersectional this is how the real world actually looks like these four women who don't really like each other mm-hmm. are put into this situation because men have put them in this situation and they have to fight their way out right that is very normal <laughs> this yeah. is how actually the world works where you're you're kind of like you're you're kind of in this cage with other women and you just have to fight your way out that is very indicative of to of how women really react to one another yeah. that's that's exactly what St- steve told me when i asked him about the, the diversity of the women and the team not just on r- racial and ethnic lines but class lines and he said well that's a no-brainer that's the world we live in if you look out the window those are the people who are watching the movie mm-hmm. and he really didn't feel like it was anything um groundbreaking you right. know because he, he it wants shouldn't to, be it, and it, as it shouldn't be 
Um, so I think the more this lends to, to another discussion we were having about the types of movies that are being made mm-hmm. and how to attract certain audiences, mm. you just have to start making films that reflect the world that we live in. And this was done very, very well. Yeah, I mean, th- for the dynamics of uh, the women, number one, I, I feel like everybody was pretty much cast perfectly. Um, Viola was just amazing in this role. I love, um, I, I think this is my actually maybe my first time seeing Elizabeth uh, Debecki. Uh, the, yeah, mine too. yeah, and she's just amazing. And you know, the funny thing that I thought was that you know, this is how I know it's a it's a it's a diff- there's a difference when uh, black creatives or creatives of color are at the helm because I could have eas- they could have easily given Elizabeth Debicki the lead role. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? A white director would have just looked at Elizabeth Debicki and be like, okay, you are going to be Veronica Rose, mm-hmm. and they would have given you know what I'm saying? They would have given Viola she- the other role. She's fantastic. Elizabeth Debicki, I mean, I know she's the white girl, but she does a fantastic job in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I, and she also, I, I, there's so many layers within her performance and within her character as well. Mm-hmm. That's why I know a lot of people are talking about Viola Davis, but mm-hmm. this, these four women mm-hmm. are incredible in this movie. I think this is my favorite performance ever from Michelle Rodriguez. I think oh, me too. amazing oh, in same. it. Yeah. So, you know yeah. why though? Because it, it allows Michelle to be full. She, it's always like this hardened, like she's action. And mm-hmm. I, this is the first time where I felt like she is in this very extremely vulnerable state. Like yes. there's no, you know, I mean, she has, she has edge. Yeah. She still has edge, but yes. she is allowed to flourish and, and, you know, be this, you know, sad, mm-hmm. emotional, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. Because she's a single mother now. And so mm-hmm. she, and she has a lot to lose. She has a business. And her husband, she thought she was good. Yeah. And she, you know, she got this mother-in-law who hate her. And, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, she blamed mm-hmm. her the She funeral. said he'd be alive if he wasn't for it's you. Like, like wow. Was so like, nasty. Yeah. So nasty. And, and so, but again, it's, she allowed, this character, this, this story allowed her to have a lot to room to explore. Yes. And um, I appreciate, again, I appreciate um, that especially for her because she was really really great yeah and then I'm... Alice's story when that scene with her mother when yes. her mother is basically telling her to prostitute herself <gasps> wow like I can't I, I love that he had that in there because mm-hmm. it was it, it kind of spoke to class without saying without beating you over the head yeah you know it's just... it it also really just kind of talked about how women are also, there are certain women who are also out here supporting the patriarchy real strong, and she's one of them. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, Linda's mother, mother-in-law is another one, and, and yeah. those two characters are very, very interesting in that they have to compete with their maternal figures for their own worth, for their own just like, don't I deserve? And they're saying, no, you don't deserve. Yeah, yeah, because I, the way, especially with Alice, uh, and her mother, it feels like the mother was just sort of like, all you have is your prettiness. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't, she undervalues her. She was like, you don't have anything else to bring to the table other than your looks. So now what are you going to do? Now you don't have a man to support you, so I guess you might as well go out there. And I mean, and the, and the thing, I, I do think that it was respectful of sex work. I don't think they were um, de- denigrating it, but I, I do feel that, um, you know, this is what happens when, you know when you have a mother who doesn't feel like she has any confidence in you you know what i mean or like if you saw that happen you're as a mother you should have been comforting your daughter be like okay what are we going to do next so even if she wanted to do sex work which you know whatever but yeah the way she was just pushing into it it was just very strange the one thing i will say watching it because again when you think about how the group comes together the one that didn't quite fit to me this is just my personal opinion, was Cynthia Erivo's character. 
she comes into the movie about 30, 40 minutes in, right? And so she, when we see her, she's sort of like a babysitter of sorts or whatever. Yes. Um, yes. And so she gets, uh, they need somebody to drive the getaway car, and then so she comes in and they pull her in or whatever. The thing with me, and this is, uh, people could disagree with me on this one, but when I watched Widows, to me, and this is nothing knocking, it's not knocking Cynthia Erivo's performance at all, I felt like Adipero's character would have fit in better because she had way more to lose because she was also a victim um, with that program where they were giving loans or giving money to business owners, finding out that they also had to give kickbacks to the very same people that were giving them the money, right? right? And so Adipero's character is a salon, a hair salon owner, right? But yet she always uh, she has to take part of her profits and pay it to these goons mm. so they don't, you know what I'm saying? And so when I thought about it, I was like, no, actually, out of Pero should have been in Cynthia's spot. They, you know what they, I mean? They did kind of shoehorn her character in yeah. to explain it. And, and I think, again, I, I mean, again, it was her Cynthia was like, oh, it's my friend and everything. And, you know, just get away car. It, it didn't make sense in the context because it's in re- realistically, if we're being we're talking about realism. It's right. like, why Why would you join this group where you could possibly die? Yeah. Viola mm-hmm. says, like, yo, my last driver got got, got hit, so... And, All right. And, and that's it, why they needed the and driver. It, and, it's like, yes. and it's like, you hear that, you have a daughter, it's like, the the the, the cons like kind of outweigh the pros. It's like, mm. what, what, what do you get out of this besides obviously money to support, but then also, mm. it would have, I think you're right in that sense, it would have made more sense um, for Anna Pura's character to be the one, because she was the one who act, was actually getting, you know, hustled yes. out of all that money. Yeah. I, I would have definitely loved to have heard more about, because I when, when that all felt, that all un- was unveiled mm-hmm. with um, Anna Pura's character. Um, I was just like, oh, snap. <laughs> really right. In this but also, I will say, I mean, I know we don't know a whole lot about Belle, uh-huh. but she is a single mother. We don't know what happened to the father, whether he's alive or whether he's dead. We don't know. Maybe she is a widow. And we also know that it doesn't matter what day it is. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. It doesn't matter if her her daughter is like begging to see her mm. she's about to get that money yeah she will put her life on the line she will <laughs> dash by those those all those guys who are on her street harassing her on the street as we've all have gone through on yeah. the street this is somebody who none of this was in her dialogue all of this was unspoken where we see that there are actually issues that she's contending with mm-hmm. that is not really spoken as much as Adipero's character or Bella or Alice or Veronica like she actually does have something that she's contending with and she also has a child and so she does have something to lose but she about to get that money yeah like like, (laughs) she's she's gonna get that money regardless yeah and that means putting herself on the line for these strangers and they are all strangers to each other Mm -hmm. like like I think they build an alliance but they don't really like each other and they don't know each other either yeah. they're just trying to get this money and be out right and that's that's what she's trying to do yeah um, I did like the scene where <laughs> they introduced her character Viola mm-hmm. so Viola and Belle were just like and that showed the class right like yes they're two black women but doesn't mm-hmm. mean that black women all get, all along, get along with each other oh, she yeah. was like she was like kind of talking to her in a dismissive way and she was like you will address me. me you will acknowledge yeah. me and so yeah. I was like oh okay um, uh, Veronica was a bit of a bitch yes <laughs> she was, and that's okay I like that yeah, they yeah. had her be I like they had the lead be a lit you know again 
as Viola is the lead character, I like mm. that they didn't make her like nice. Like she, yes. like she was, she, she was a bitch. Like she, she had problems. She had problems. And sometimes <laughs> she would talk to me like, "Why did you have to be like that?" And like when she was talking to um, Al- was Alice, Alice, the character, yes. she's like, like close your little legs. I'm like, girl, why are you, why are you all up in her business? But again, again, these are flawed mm. characters that are very realistic. And actually, I don't want to steer the conversation a bit, but yeah. I was noticing we were talking about with Steve McQueen and Viola. They're doing their press runs. So yes. talking. Mm-hmm. And um, Viola was talking about how this is a, it's very rare to see a dark skinned black woman with natural hair in this kind of, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of role like this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, in, the, in this has this kind of control. Mm-hmm. And um, she used the word exist, saying that women like this exist. And so mm-hmm. he wanted to show that representation. Yep. And it threw me back to an old um, interview talking to about Nicole Bahari back in Shame. Yeah. Um, she was, did a panel and she was saying the same thing about Steve McQueen and how um, the studio did not want her for the role in Shame. They, oh, why is that? I'm really not surprised. They felt by that. like a woman of color did not fit the archetype of that certain character, and so <sighs> Steve actually had to fight very hard for Nicole. And it's, mm. it's a very small role, so you wonder why they would care. But oh, it, I know why they would care because I mean, you know because, because care. let's think about this: the people that Michael Fassbender's character was having meaningly sex, meaningless sex with were all white women, and yet Nicole Bahari kind of signified the love interest to him. She, she kind of transcended the sexual desire that he had, which also tied into why he couldn't perform with her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so to see a black woman kind of disrupting that narrative, I don't think people were, were comfortable with that. No, they were not. Like, they were like, he yeah. was like, he, he straight up told her, he's like, yo, listen, they didn't want you. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's what made me want it more. And, and so, but, then, but, then, but that's why he said, told her that. He said, but I, he fought for her because women like you exist. Right. We, as black people, exist. Yeah. So I need you to pull it out and do this performance to show yeah. them, you know, I, I made the right decision. Aww. And so, were they dating at the time? Well, it was, it was through Shame while they were promoting it. That's when they kind of okay. Started. I wasn't sure what the timeline yeah. was. Yeah. I know well, they funny were enough, in Shame, point. the sex scene, the almost sex scene, was actually their first scene together. It was kind of like, "Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Nicole. Let's get naked." <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like, "Oh God!" Uh, but but you again, know it's interesting. Uh, Do you guys remember the first thing that uh-huh. Linda says to Veronica when she realizes that she's Harry's widow? Yeah, she's like, "Where did you guys meet?" Yes. And I think mm. I kind of busted out laughing because yes. she doesn't even respond to her. She gives her one of her bitch looks, and we're just. <laughs> Like she just shut the shit down, right. and I was just like, "Oh, this is amazing!" <laughs> because it's just like I don't need to claim, I don't need to identify myself, I don't need to, I don't owe you any explanations. I'm a boss. Whatever you about to hear me. But yeah. again, it, it shows a lot about. I'm sure if there's a backstory between him, and uh, her, and him yeah. about when they started getting together, she probably got that a lot. People are going to see all these these white spaces, and people are like, "Oh, so that's your man?" And yeah, like, and so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I I told I, I love that line too because it was like, what you mean? Like that's you? You didn't expect a, a dark skinned black woman? See, to now I need to see this movie again because it, oh it definitely God. lends itself to line. multiple it's viewings. So I caught things the second time because I saw it in the city first before TIFF, and then I saw it again at TIFF. Uh-huh. Um, no, not TIFF, and um. Chicago Film Fest right. for the junket there and okay. I definitely caught things the second time you definitely should see it more than once thank you for joining us for another episode of the Spectrum Lounge you can find our guests on Twitter Erica Mann at the NYC Film Chick Candace Frederick at Real Talker and Jerry L. Barrow at JL Barrow you can also find our host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, at filmfatale underscore NYC. 
You can help support the Spectrum Lounge by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash underscore NYC. Thank you for listening. Until next time.